Well, we continue in our studies of the Westminster Confession of Faith. We are in chapter 17 today of the perseverance of the saints, which, by the way, perseverance of the saints is the way in which the Reformed doctrine speaks of eternal security. Uh, We believe in eternal security, but it sometimes is taught and believed in a way that's not that biblical. And so kind of the, the, the Westminster Divine's way of getting at it is the perseverance of the faith, of the saints. And the first paragraph points the, the certainty of perseverance for those who are in Christ, for true and genuine believers in Jesus. Now, here's where we have eternal security through faith. They whom God has accepted in his beloved, effectually called and sanctified by his spirit, can neither totally nor finally fall away from the state of grace, but shall certainly persevere therein to the end and be eternally saved. And notice again that language of perseverance. We acknowledge that there is a process that is mandatory. Eternal security does not... I've heard people say to me, you mentioned the gospel to them, say I already took care of that. I went down to the river when I was 12 years old. I Once saved, always saved. That's not how it works. We continue in the faith. We persevere in the faith. And in that way, we have security. Well, notice that they say perseverance is grounded in our acceptance in the beloved. Now, that's picking up on the language of Ephesians 1.6. We're accepted in Christ, the beloved. It's grounded in, in, in our, our union with Christ, in the effectual calling of God the Father, and the sealing work of the Holy Spirit. And so we approach the question, and here's the question. It's a big question. If I believe in the Lord Jesus on September 21st, 2022. I have a genuine faith in the Lord Jesus on September 21st. Am I going to have a genuine faith in Jesus on September 22nd and in 2023 and 2024? Well, the reason why we say that is because we remember who we are and what God has already done for us. In Romans 8.30, I say 34, it's actually 8.32, one of my favorite verses, often think of it. He, God having already given his son, how shall he not also together with him graciously give us all things? So there's things that I need if I'm going to believe tomorrow and 10 years from now, Lord willing, and until the end of my life. Well, God has already given me his son to die for my sins. He, Paul argues he will not fail to grant everything else I need. Uh, and we are therefore confident that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to bring it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. It's one of the main memory verses. Uh, I remember uh, my first year in seminary, which is now a few years ago. It was a prior millennium. And uh, I was in the Westminster Seminary bookstore, and there, and there was some guy. He must have been doing a doctoral student because he was an Arminian. And I'll talk about the difference between Arminianism and the Reformed view to this. But uh, he was having a debate with someone about predestination and election. And this is before I was, I was a relatively new believer. I was in training for the ministry. So I didn't not, I didn't know not to get involved in that kind of debate going on in the aisles of the, of the seminary bookstore. But I ended up being kind of the, the chief arguer of it. And I remember saying to him, uh, he said, um, I said, he, I said, let me ask you a question. Do you believe in Jesus? I believe in Jesus who died for my sins. He's my Lord and Savior. I said, okay. Do you, do you know that tomorrow you will believe in him? And he said, I cannot know. 
I cannot know if I'm going. I, I, I said to him, are you going to heaven? As I asked him, you believe in Jesus? Yes. Are you going to heaven? He goes, I cannot know. I said, well, what is your plan? And he says, well, my plan is I'm going to discipline myself. and I'm going to govern my life. and I'm going to structure my life to make sure by my will and my efforts and my preparations that every day I'll believe in Jesus. And I said, now you asked me the question. And I said, um, he said, are you believe in Jesus? I believe in Jesus Christ is the son of God. He died on the cross for my sins. He says, are you going to heaven? I said, yes, I am going to heaven. And he, I'll never forget, he goes, that's what I hate about you Calvinists. You're so arrogant. And I said, my friend, it is not arrogant to believe that by believing in Jesus, you're going to go to heaven. He says, well, how can you, what, what is your plan? And the verse that came to my mind was, I know whom I have believed. And I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. And I remember saying to the guy who I never saw again, that's how these things go. This was pre-internet. You know, Today it would be raging across Facebook for days and days. But um, uh, I said it must, be, oh, yeah, it must be exhausting to be an Arminian. To deny the sovereignty of God is what causes these things. And he said, I am exhausted. Um, and it, it was sad to me. Uh, we we are we persevere because of the preserving grace of God that He who began a good work in us. Now this assumes, of course, notice that we that 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 is the understanding that our salvation was His work. It was all of grace in the beginning. It, my salvation is not fundamentally something I did. I was there. I was involved. I acted, but it was not something that I caused or initiated. Uh, you, you did not choose me, Jesus said, but I chose you. And God, having begun my salvation, he will bring it to completion. And the, the day of Christ Jesus is the second coming. For Philippians 1.6. Uh, then you have Romans 8.30. Those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now, that's called the golden chain. But notice the link there between election and glorification and calling and glorification and justification through faith alone and justified. Essentially, they're all in the past tense. They haven't all happened yet. They haven't been glorified. But it's so certain that when I believed in Jesus, Paul speaks of my glorification using the grammar of a completed action. Uh, based on God's electing eternal election of his people, every one of them is going to be glorified. And I, of course, these are great memory verses, particularly for people who struggle with assurance. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Now they're saving faith, right? So there's no, per, there's no eternal security outside of, outside of Christ, apart from faith in Christ. My sheep know me. I I hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. That is absolutely necessary. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Notice that the, the, the preserving is a sovereign work of Christ, past, present, and future. It's interesting in John 10, it's at a time where the opposition to Jesus is becoming very intense. This is the time that the Pharisees are, are plotting, they're beginning to plot his murder. And yet Jesus is able to talk not only about being able to accomplish his own life work, the atoning death and resurrection, but his certainty that he is able to preserve us. They will never perish. 
No one will snatch them out of my hand. That's why we believe that there's perseverance. Yes, we must persevere. There is no security apart from a persevering faith. But those who trust in Christ will persevere because of his promise. Uh, Now, that does not preclude backsliding. Uh, But we can notice the language is we can never totally or finally fall away from the state of grace. But there there are God's people who appear to do so. And this is no fun for anybody. It's no fun for them. It's no fun for the church when someone uh, stops attending and stops walking in the Lord for, for spouses and family members. But it is certain, in fact, the third paragraph is going to deal with this more fully. We, 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 are, we are not positing that a true believer in Jesus every day will be you know, manifesting that faith. We acknowledge there's backsliding. And it's for this reason that we speak of believers persevering. We need the light of God's word to keep us from losing our way. If we say, okay, I have eternal security, therefore it doesn't matter how I live, we have lost the thread. We we are not following the logic of this. It is through faith that we find ourselves being saved. Chad Van Dixhorn says, we should offer no encouragement to the idea that those people are Christians who confess Christ that there's their Savior at one moment, and then lead a life of disobedience at another. Now, here's the interesting point he's making. is It is true that a Christian who believes in Jesus and may appear to fall away, if they're a true believer, they'll come back. And yet the thing to say to them is to warn them. When a Christian, particularly if they've renounced the Lord, if they've walked away years ago. Uh, in fact, when I was teaching at college, uh, there was a, a student who was very close to Sharon and me. And after she was commissioned in the Army, she was a very bright young l- lieutenant. And her early experiences in the Army were very discouraging to her, and particularly spiritually discouraging to her. At the time, she was in Kosovo. There was no, there was no church. There was no spiritual influence. She was making some unwise choices. The Army was not helping her. And I'll never forget about, oh, I don't know, some years down the road, I did a wedding for one of her old friends, and we'd lost touch of her. And, uh, and I remember saying to Sharon, I wonder if Jen will be there uh, at the wedding. And sure enough, and it was a, it was a, a young kid, the guy, the West Point cadet who was getting married, he was younger, younger than her, he was marrying an RUF girl from Auburn University, and it was one of those classic Southern weddings. Everyone was just feminine and pretty, and it was just... And it's all these young Christians, and she, she's sitting in the back dressed in, like, black leather with a severe haircut. I'm like, I guess I've, we, I found her. You know, she came to the wedding. And I remember just walking over and saying, why don't you give me a ride to the airport, and we'll spend some time together. And she, and, and she knew we loved her, and she loved us, and so she did. And so on the way to the airport, she, uh, she's given me all the reasons why Christianity is false. She has left the faith. She's, she's become an atheist. And uh, uh, she was talking about Nietzsche and all these things. And I, I, I asked her the question. Let me ask her the question. Just, and I'm, sitting, I'm thinking in the car going, I'm so exhausted. I just did a wedding. I just had conversation with 300 Southern Alabamans after a wedding reception. I have no mental capacity now. And I just said, yeah, let me ask you the question. Uh, did unbelief lead you into sin or did sin lead you into unbelief? And that turned out to be the right pastoral question. That was throwing the rock against the glass wall. And she broke down and admitted it was sin that led to unbelief. And the, the, the thing for her to do was to, uh, was to come back to the Lord. She actually, it's a, it's a longer story. She came back to the Lord. But what's interesting, between those two events, she visited us twice. And the first time she visited us, 
she was living apart from Christ. She was leading an ungodly life. And the first time she visited us, I kept saying, no, no, you're saved. You have eternal security. Remember you, you know, remember all the Calvinistic teaching? He'll be, he, he who began a good work, you will be faithful. So, you know, stop pretending you're not saved. You are saved. Uh, and it was the wrong thing to say to her because she was renouncing the faith. The second time she came, I was so frustrated, I said to her, you know, the truth is, if you continue in this way, you will go to hell. The truth is, you are, I suppose we were wrong. We can be wrong. We, when, we, when someone joins the church, the elders could be wrong. They, you know, you're, you're, you're putting on a front if you are. The, the church doesn't necessarily know, can't read your heart. We can't read regeneration. And I said to her, so far as it seems right now that you were not saved, because if you were saved, you would persevere. And since you're not, you need to face the fact that uh, if you don't repent and turn to the Lord, there's no salvation. Well, years later, when she came back to the faith, she said to me, it was the second meeting that was helpful to me. First one did nothing to me. Oh, don't, no, no, you're saved, even though you're leading an ungodly life, even though you're not walking in the faith. Oh, no, no, remember the time, actually, remember, remember the time you cried while we sang as a deer? It's not, that's not effective ministry, by the way. And she said, that one did me no good. But the second time when you said to me, if you don't repent, you will perish, she said, that one got through to me. And that's the right thing to say to someone. Now, here's the thing. Here's the good news. We, we have hope for people. Because if they were true, if they really were saved, then they will come back. And she was an example of someone who came back because the Lord persevered with her. I feel like I was a little convoluted in that. But the point I'm trying to make is if a professing Christian abandons the faith, we do not preach eternal security to them. We preach the need for repentance. They need to trust in the Lord Jesus. Uh, what's the difference between Judas and Peter? On the night of Jesus' betrayal, the difference, well, there's a lot of differences, but from our perspective, the difference is that Peter repented. And we know, looking back, that Judas had never been saved. That's very clear. Jesus makes that very clear. Uh, they, would, they did not know that at the time. We know that Peter was saved. Uh, and, 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 but at the time, the night that Peter's betraying the Lord, what, from our perspective, shows who the true believer is? The true believer repents. And returns to Jesus. A second Peter one uh, ten to eleven says, "Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. If you practice these qualities, you will never fail. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ." Now he's talking about the cultivation of godly character, and so. The perseverance of the saints, the last thing it does is say, oh, because God's sovereign, you don't, it doesn't matter how you live. It doesn't matter whether you invest in your faith. It doesn't matter whether you're in the word and in prayer and growing as a Christian. Peter says, look, you need to be diligent to these things. And in that way, you confirm your, you don't make yourself elect, but you gain valid biblical confirmation that you are one of God's people. And if you, and it's through the Christian life. It's through the biblical life, it's through godliness that we persevere. And you will be richly provided for an entrance into the eternal kingdom. 1 Peter 1.5, you who by God's power are being guarded, praise the Lord, through faith. There is no, there is no eternal security apart from faith in the Lord Jesus. Well, the reasons for our perse- perseverance, paragraph 2. This perseverance of the saints depends not upon their own free will, but upon the immutability of the decree of election, 
flowing from the free and unchangeable love of God the Father, upon the efficacy of the merit and intercession of Jesus Christ, the abiding of the Spirit and of the seed of God within them, and the nature of the covenant of grace, all of which arise from all of which arise the certainty and infallibility of perseverance. Let's look at those one at a time. It's not by our free will. That guy in the Bible's bookstore, he himself had no confidence that he was going to be able to make sure, thank the Lord, that my salvation does not ultimately depend on my choosing him, on my exercise of free will. There would be no, in fact, where that is the doctrine, there is a formal denial of perseverance. There would be no confidence at all if ultimately it was, it was caused by us. But we will persevere according to the scriptures because of the immutability of God's decree of election. In other words, we persevere because of God's will. Second Timothy 2.19, God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows who are his. And the Bible teaches that, the, that God's people are chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world, that we may be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us. And so the Bible teaches very clearly that there is a people whom God has, persons whom God has chosen. That decree will not fail. 100% of the elect will be glorified. Why? Because it is the will of God. For the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. God does not bat 70%. We'd go, that's pretty good, actually. 70% of the elect made it. By our standards, it's pretty good, I suppose. Those are not odds that allow me to sleep at night. But God is not like us. He is perfect. He bats 100%. Uh, The gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. And so the elect will be saved because that is God's decree. God did not merely elect them to make a profession of faith. He elected them to be his people eternally. And secondly, we will persevere because of the free and unchanging love of God the Father. We just studied that great verse, I have loved you with an everlasting love, therefore I have continued in my faithfulness to you. In fact, in Jeremiah, we're in, that, we're in a section, right, the whole book of comfort. It's one passage after another where the Lord goes, you know, I have to punish you. But I'm going to say, I've not forgotten my, I've not forgotten my promise. I, I've not forgotten that I love you. Oh, Ephraim, can my son Ephraim, can I ever forget him? No, I can't. Isn't that wonderful? God doesn't walk away from his love. Uh, it's because the Lord loves you that he loves you in keeping the oath that he swore to your father. So if, here's the thing. If you say, if you can say to me, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and, and I have the gift of faith. God opened my heart. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that I believe the gospel truth, that he died for my sins, he rose from my eternal life. He's coming back to bring eternal glory. If you have true faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, it's because of God's love and that love that caused you to be saved will cause you to enter into glory. Because of the efficacy of the merit of Jesus Christ, Jesus' grace, Jesus' atoning death does not... Here's here's a doctrine probably most evangelicals believe. Jesus died so that everybody has the same equal shot of being forgiven, if only you'll do your part. You ever heard that? Everybody's in the same situation. He's made salvation. He's made redemption possible. He's made you redeemable. He's made you salvable. 
And the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says he saves his people. He redeems his people from their sins. I think of John Murray. He says, if you, if you make it merely potential, then you take all that biblical language that he has redeemed us, he has saved us, he has reconciled us, and you evacuate it of all its content and meaning. No, the Bible says he accomplishes our salvation. We just studied the new covenant promise. I will forgive their iniquities. I will remember their sins no more. Well, if we may fall away, then he, that promise is false. He's not remembering our sins no more. He put them aside. He brings them back. Jesus would have died in vain. Hebrews 10.10 says, We have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And here's the beauty of the Bible's teaching. Jesus did not die for you because you believe in him. You believe in him because Jesus died for you. And he, he accomplished your atonement. And you discover that he did it for you when you believe. And the reason you believe is because God the Father chose you in eternity. God the Son died on the cross to atone for your sins. They are atoned for. And then the Holy Spirit regenerated you so that through faith you would be the recipient of those. Uh, we, are, we persevere then for believers persevere because of the efficacy of his merit, but also because of his intercession. And you've heard me say it before. I think that evangelical Christians today, people like us, tend not to think enough of the intercession of Jesus Christ. We think of the past, I give the example of the Christian pledge used in Christian schools, and I am not opposed to it. I just merely observe where it's past and future, but they don't, we don't mention the present. Look, you can't mention everything. You can't mention everything at once. But what is it? I believe in, in uh, Jesus Christ, crucified, dead, and coming again. Crucified, risen, and coming again. Uh, and I, and I, don't, I'm not, I'm not, I don't mean to critique it. I'm merely observing. We don't really comment on and currently exalted and ruling all things. And interesting, he's praying for me as I'm speaking right now. Jesus is praying for me and for you and for us. And he's sending the Holy Spirit. The interest, how will I be lost when, when Christ is interceding for me? Uh, John 6, 39, Jesus says, And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but I will raise it up on the last day. None of the elect can be lost. But you see, he does that actively. Jesus is not just sitting back and going, well, you know, election secures it. That is true. But he himself is interceding with the Father for the ministry of the Holy Spirit to ensure that he does the work given to him, that he doesn't lose any of his own. But he will raise him up at the last day. I mean, I, 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 we have so many young mothers in our church, and, they're, and Lord bless them, it's a stressful time of life. You've got all these little kids you're keeping track of, and they're running around, you wonder where they are. Jesus, you, you, and you don't lose any of your children. I mean, we, last time we had a child, I can't remember that we lost a child. Uh, well, Jesus doesn't lose any of his children. He keeps them all. Uh, I, I love John eleven seventeen, the, the great high priestly prayer of John 17, which, by the way, is an amazing chapter of Scripture. Imagine if the Lord Jesus, on the night of his arrest, right before he initiates the sequence of events, that on the next day is going to lead to his crucifixion. 
Imagine if he offered up a particular prayer as the second Adam, as the mediator. The prayer, it's actually the oblation. There, there's, there's two parts of every sacrifice. There's a presentation of the sacrifice, and then there's the, prayer. there's the actual making of the sacrifice, and then there's the prayerful presentation of it. If Jesus offered that prayer, and we had a copy of it, and it's called John 17. And there's our Lord Jesus, and he's leaving, and he says, I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. I'm coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name. Now, if that's how Jesus interceded before he went into heaven, Jesus is interceding for you now that he is in heaven. And then there's a great example of Simon. I mentioned what's the difference between Judas and Simon. Well, uh, Simon was, was elect. <laughs> Judas was not. We're told that. Straight up by the Lord Jesus. Uh, Jesus died for Peter. He did not die for Judas. Jesus interceded for Peter. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. The implication of which is, it's going to be a rough night. But I have prayed for you, that your faith may not fail. And how many times will we find out that that is not Simon, Simon, it's Rick, Rick. It's Sharon, Sharon. It's Bob, Bob. Uh, you would be lost, but except that I'm praying for you. I'm upholding you in prayer. Who is to condemn? This is Romans 8.34. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, he was raised. Who is at the right hand of God who is interceding for us? And Hebrew, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, Hebrews 7.25, he is able to save to the uttermost. Now that means really save them. Not give them salvation potential. It's not a salvation opportunity. He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Now that, that portion of Hebrews 7 is talking about the eternal priesthood of Christ. And there will never be a time starting well, from the moment you believed, actually before then, there's never be a time until all eternity when Jesus Christ will not be alive as your high priest making intercession for you based upon the efficacy of the atoning sacrifice he made. That's a solid reason for perseverance. They also add because of the abiding of the Spirit and the seed of God in them. Uh, And I think the main passage I think of, can you see it? Yeah. In him also, in Christ also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, oh, let's not forget that you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit, his indwelling of us, is a seal. Now, what does a seal do? Well, a seal guards things. Think how they sealed the tomb of Jesus. You seal a document. And so it, it, it keeps the Holy Spirit within you, if you're a genuine born-again believer, the Holy Spirit will keep you from falling away. He will persevere with you. The other thing a seal does is that it marks the ownership of you. And so you are marked with a seal. The Holy Spirit, God recognized that. That's, that's, a, that's one of my elect, as if he needed a reminder. That's one of those for whom Christ died. And so the Holy Spirit is the seal who guarantees your inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Jesus says in John fourteen sixteen to 17, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper, the Holy Spirit, to be with you forever. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Now, this is also a good reason for you not to backslide because you're not going to have any fun 
Oh, you think you're going to have fun. You may have fun for a little while, but unlike your office mate who's not a believer and who's not born again and who does not have the Holy Spirit of the living God within him, and he is having fun sinning. I got news for you. Unbelieving people have fun sinning. Uh, and uh, they are not, they're not, the Holy Spirit is not with them. Now, like Psalm 73 says, it's not going to go well. But sin in this life works out for the ungodly person. It does not work out in your life. I think of Channing Green, another West Point cadet, who at, at West Point, you didn't pick your own roommate. You got your roommate assigned to you, and Channing had a bad run of ungodly roommates. And he had a roommate who was, and they, they were always sneaking off post and, 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 and drinking and whatnot. And West Point produces masters of criminal behavior. When they have all those rules. They, know, they don't lie, cheat, or steal, but, but uh, escaping, they're very good at. An illusion and uh, and his roommate was, well, come on, don't, why are you, I know you're a Christian, why are you so boring, you chicken, whatnot. And so Channing goes out and he gets drunk with them. And he comes back and he goes, well, the funny thing was, he says the next morning, they all said to him, you know, we were very disappointed in you. <laughs> He's like, oh, the very guy who tempted me for all this time. Suddenly I go, do it. And now you're like, we were disgusted with you, Christian. He goes, you know, I had a miserable time. Now, I'm not saying that you may not enjoy a night sinning. Sin has, I think of Rosaria Butterfield. I was doing a conference with her at Bob's church uh, many years ago, and somebody asked her uh, if it was icky being a lesbian. I'm just sitting there, and she goes, oh, no, it was very pleasurable. I'm going, well, she can't do a Q&A at our church, I'll tell you that. Uh, and Rosaria makes the comment. She says, Here, let me give you a rule about, about sin. If it doesn't feel good, you're not doing it right. I'm just sitting there going, well, it's true. But see, you have the Holy Spirit in you, and be, you, you, will not, you will not prosper in it. You will not gain headway. For you, it will be particular. It's poisonous for everyone. But whatever lifestyle thing it is, whether it's greed or, or the boasting of pride, or if it's, if it's you know, fleshly pleasures, adultery or whatnot, with the Holy Spirit within you, you will not be able to, pers- to, pers- uh, to pursue it. Uh, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning, John says, for God's seed abides in him. That's where that seed language comes from. And he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. The same fundamental argument. Now, he is not saying, and I'm not saying, that Christians can't sin and can't sin grievously and can't even be in it for a while. But they will repent. They will repent because they have a new nature. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old has passed away, the new has come. And so there's no getting away from regeneration from the indwelling Holy Spirit, at least not in the end, thank God. And then finally, we will persevere because of the nature of the covenant of grace. What are they talking about? Well, among the promises in the covenant of grace are promises from the Father to the Son about what will happen in your life and my life if the Son keeps his end of the covenant. Think of Isaiah 53, verse 10. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his day, days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hands. What that saying is, because God entered into an eternal covenant with Christ, we call it the covenant of redemption, actually. Um, 
and but it's organically related to the covenant of grace. He promised that if Christ would become incarnate and live under the law and, ful- and, and fulfill all righteousness and then to die as an atoning sacrifice for the elect, the Father will give the elect to, me, to be his people. He will have his bride. Well, if you, are, if you are one of his people, God's going to do that. He's not going to fail Christ. Uh, I think of Jesus in the high priestly prayer. You have given him, me, he means himself, the son of man, authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given to him. And so the father gave a people in eternity to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he gives them eternal life. They will persevere. Now, if you're thinking right now, yes, but how do I know I'm elect? By believing in Jesus. That's why it's persevering through faith. But if you believe in Jesus, these are the promises of the covenant. And then the great promise of Hebrews 13, 20 to 21. Now may the God of grace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, that great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us all that is pleasing in his sight. So God brought Jesus back from the dead by the blood of the eternal covenant, the the covenant of redemption, the the, the pre temporal covenant between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit with respect to the elect. And because of that, God will equip you with everything good that you will do his good, working in this all that is pleasing in his sight. Well, the last, oh, one more here before I get to the last paragraph. Now, I do want to highlight the difference between Arminian and Reformed doctrine about the matter of perseverance, because here's where the rubber meets the road. And this is where probably most evangelicals we know hold a different doctrine than we do, and it has the greatest implications. It's one of the reasons we love the Reformed faith. Both Arminians and Calvinists believe that Christians must persevere until the end. We agree that we must persevere. Jesus says to the one who perseveres, I will give the crown of life. Arminians teach that perseverance is uncertain for true believers, Whereas the Reformed teach it is certain, for the reasons I've given, for true believers. Arminians ascribe perseverance ultimately to our free will. That's why it's uncertain. See, if they understood the nature of sin, they would realize it's not only uncertain, it's impossible. (laughs) When you really consider the fallen state of man, if it's relying on my free will, it's a 0% chance that they have that wrong too. The Reformed ascribe perseverance to God's sovereign and gracious will. Arminians teach that Christ's atonement makes salvation possible for everyone through faith, whereas the Reformed teach that Christ atoned for the elect only, effectually redeeming them from sin. Arminians teach that all men have the same gracious influence of the Holy Spirit operating on them, enabling them to believe if they are willing. So the Arminian doctrine is the Holy Spirit has gone forth, and by the Holy Spirit you have the ability Without the Holy Spirit, you would not, but everybody has the equal access to the operation, the general operations of the Holy Spirit. You therefore may believe. Well, the Bible says that believers have the special operations of the Holy Spirit who seals us to salvation. The Holy Spirit indwells the persons for whom Christ died who are the same persons as God the Father elected. And I have to say that the Trinitarian malfeasance Under the Arminian view, God the Father elected no one. He he elected a a principle. If you believe, he foresaw that if you believed, he would choose you. But salvation is through faith. He doesn't choose anyone. Christ, in their view, dies for everyone, 
although he doesn't save everyone, anyone, he dies equally for everyone, and the Holy Spirit selects some. What, what, what a travesty that is, where the, whole, the, the members of the Trinity are together. They are one. All that they do is according to the same plan, uh, and, and that's the Reformed view. Lastly, uh, true Christians can almost fall away. That's how I'm labeling it. Let me read the third paragraph. Nevertheless, they may, through the temptations of Satan and the world, the prevalence of corruption remaining in them, the neglect of the means of their perseverance, they may fall into grievous sins and for a time continue therein, whereby they incur God's displeasure and grieve his Holy Spirit, come to be deprived of some, of their, of some measure of their graces and comforts, have their hearts hardened and their conscience wounded, hurt and scandalize others, and bring temporal judgments upon themselves." And so we recognize that there is quite a variety of experience. And there are regrettable cases of people who end up being saved. They made profession of faith. They fell away. They came back where they did horrible things like David. Like the whole Bathsheba and Uriah thing is no small thing. Uh, Adultery and and, and effective murder. Uh, Peter. His denial of the Lord three times. And, and there are Christians who can have sexual affairs for years. And what's going to happen? They're going to, God's going to punish them. They're going to have, they're going to suffer temporal results from that. They're going to, they're going to damage other people. God's going to chastise them in their own spirits and, and in their lives. And yet they may be a saved person. Now, what's that saying? Eternal security does not mitigate our need to walk with the Lord. I don't know about you, but I would like to avoid these things. <laughs> and therefore, I, now here's what I said at the beginning, the guy who disciplines himself. And Well, I, I don't have to discipline myself and govern all my choices in order that I, I will believe tomorrow. But I do structure my life with biblical piety. I, for instance, I follow the, uh, the Billy, what used to be called the Billy Graham rule. It's called the Mike Pence rule. Uh, I, I'm friends with a lot of women in this church. I have gone out to coffee with, on a social arrangement with none of you but her. <laughs> Why? Structure beats good intentions. I, I don't want to fall into sin, therefore I don't expose myself. By the way, if you're willingly exposing yourself to a sin, then you want to expose you. I, I don't, people, Rick, do you think we're out to have an affair with you? No, I don't. And, I'm, and I don't want to. And you don't want to. And therefore, we lead godly lives and we put up structures and we resolve. We live according to the Bible. That's just one aspect of life. And so we lead lives of piety, of biblical obedience, not in order to keep ourselves from losing our salvation, but, from, but in order to lead a fruitful, blessed life so that my sin does not make a shipwreck of my life. Though, what does Paul say to the one man in 1 Corinthians 3? He himself is saved, but is a man fleeing a burning house. I, I don't want that to be my life. I don't want these sorts of things. But is it possible for me? It is. A true believer may sin grievously, May, may damage others, but, there's, but here's the beauty of this grace. God brings us back. And here's where you have the Lord restored the, the years that the locusts had eaten. It's amazing the restoration he did. He, he preserves his people. He who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it. But my friends, we are to persevere in the faith. We're to live. I would say that our generation would do well by a recovery of historic biblical piety of the daily prayers, of the daily scripture. And I know many of you do that. 
And, uh, you know, coming to church is not just so that I feel good about the service. Uh, it's, it's for you. I, I love Asaph. He says, I, I almost slipped, but then I went into the sanctuary. And I've said before, it's that you can only sin so much in six days. You can actually sin a lot in six days. But you come to church on the seventh day, and we, the Sabbath observation, regular attendance upon the church, the private piety of the home, uh, this is perseverance. It's leading that godly life in an intentional way. That's our persevering, and it's all God's grace. He will be faithful to us. He will complete the good work he began. Let me pray. Father in heaven, I pray for this teaching from the confession. And Lord, uh, I know that people in the room, we have people we love who seem to have fallen away from the faith. And Lord, we don't know how, maybe we don't know whether they're backslidden believers or they're apostates, whether they're going to come back or whether their profession of faith was actually not true. But Father, therefore we pray for them. Therefore we witness the gospel. Therefore we reach out. We speak the truth in love. And we pray, Lord, that all the lost sheep that we know, that you would bring them home. But Lord, we know that Christ will lose not one of them. And so we we look at our own lives and we know if we stand before you and are able to say, Lord Jesus, I believe in you. I trust you for my salvation. You say to us, you will never perish and no one will ever snatch you out of our hands. Oh, thank you that you persevere with us. You preserve us. Grant us the grace that we then would persevere in the faith. We know that you will. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.